Hey everybody, Monday, the Rosillo Show podcast, Saruti back in Bristol. Hey Saruts. What's up? How are we doing? Did Greeny call you Saruts when he called him the Will Kane show today? He didn't. You know what's awesome? It's like, I was driving back from a wedding yesterday and I'm like, you know, navigating whatever and Maddie, my fiance, was like, hey, uh, Greeny just Not a you. dude. Not a dude. Nope. D-D-Y, M-A-D-D-Y. Email. Um, what's up? And she's like, Greeny just texted you. And I was like, that's weird. <laughs> and then we're not on a friendship texting basis. And he's like, yeah, he wants to come on the show tomorrow. I was like, done and done. What's up, Greeny? Let's do it. He, I think he just has the itch. He kind of misses doing radio. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I like him, you. But... I thought of you because I was like, wow, it's, it's, it's probably kind of tough. Like he doesn't really do the same thing on Get Up. It's obviously, you know, I like the show and everything, but it's just, it's a little bit different. Yeah, they're finding their groove on that show. I like the show. I mean, I'm a huge Bill Wolf fan. Everybody knows that. Um, but yeah, I catch the show depending on which hotel I'm in. I'm going to do an updated life thing and some life observations. This is going to be a two-parter. So in about 20 minutes, which means 30 plus, because I'm just going to ramble, uh, about the Thunder. Now, I won't do it all in the Thunder. Thunder fans are going, oh, come on, man. Are you serious? It's been a couple of days. Do we need this again? But yeah, you kind of do. You kind of need it. But I think I'm going to be fair. I'll be nice. I'll be stern, but fair. So I'm going to do some hoops recap stuff. Sorry jump in whenever. But since we're separated now, I do a much worse job of letting you interject. But I apologize. And then we're going to do Kuiper. And Kuiper's going to recap what happened with Mayfield going one, why he wouldn't have done it. And then I'm going to ask him who the best guy is in five years. And then I'm going to ask about next year's class. And speaking of next year's class, I've been texting with my what's supposed to be Manhattan Beach neighbor, Bruce Feldman, Fox Sports, SI.com, uh, one of the best college football guys. We're going to make it a two-parter. So I'm going to do some nonsense my buddy who almost got murdered doesn't now want to do the podcast. I think his wife got involved. So I don't know. I guess she doesn't want him going on. I was a, actually looking forward to that story. All right. I know. It's an incredible story, but I, I think she's afraid of having him go on one of the most famous podcasts in the world and talking about this guy that's still on the loose that tried to murder him. I mean, it's re- honestly, now that now that you say that out loud, it actually kind of makes sense. <laughs> right. Like that sentence in itself, you could see how a wife would frown upon that. Because I'd be like, yeah, let's get Steve. Let's get this Steve son of a gun. I think that is his name, too. Is the first yeah, name. and this, I think like, you know, murderer maybe potentially listens to the Rosillo podcast and is like, yeah, what the heck's going on? Yeah, I mean, if he's on the run, he's probably downloading a lot of shows. <laughs> he's got some free time. <laughs> Speaking of <laughs> murdering things, uh, the Jazz beat the Thunder, but Russ was an accessory. Uh, and so was Paul George, and so was Mello. But it's all on Russ. And let's, let's give the anatomy of a take again. Okay. A take is, is <laughs> not everything's just a, a take. And unfortunately, they're all kind of filtered in that same grinder here. But I don't like when people say about an NBA player, and they can say it about quarterbacks too, because it's kind of the same thing. Oh, you're never going to win a championship with that guy. Okay. Cause it's fun to be quick. It's fun to be the first guy that says it. Cause it seems like you're out there with the most aggressive chest out take possible in the biz. But, what you're really doing is just being a jerk about it because the odds are you're probably going to be right because if you want to just start picking off NBA players left and right saying this guy's not going to win a ring and this guy's not ever going to win a ring and then if he does get a ring but it's after his 12th year you can say the only reason he got that ring is because he got it with somebody else. Uh, but nobody can do this on their own and Russ continues to try to do this on his own. What he did in game six against Utah was disgusting. And if you're going to come back to me as a Thunder fan, which many of you have, and said, well, it's Paul George's fault. What's Russ supposed to do? I just, I don't think you understand basketball. There is no evidence that anybody being that selfish and that isolated from the other four guys that are supposed to be on the same team, those guys in the same uniforms as you, yeah, you can pass them the ball. Um, it, it's never, it's never, ever, ever, ever worked. And that's why the Westbrook Iverson comparisons are actually great because they are 
fan favorites. They are tough guys out on the floor. And Russ, on his worst day, would never be as detached to the team commitments as Iverson was. I mean, Iverson was a disaster. If Iverson were playing today doing some of the things he were doing off of the court and some of his legal issues, he would have been, he would have been banned from the league for a, of a amount of time. With the, our heightened awareness to social issues, the stuff that was going on with Iverson that's been written about, and you can go back and look at all that stuff, like he would be actually suspended from the league. Um, and it's just not the way it was back then. But Westbrook has that same approach and that same thing, whereas you are keeping your team hostage with that style of play. So, you know, I, I think one of the most important things is that you do here is you got to understand where Thunder fans are coming from and why they're so passionate and why they're so mad when anybody wants to bash, uh, bash Russ. And I, you know, look to me, it's not bashing if it's actually happening and you're pointing out what's happening that isn't great. But Russ is the guy that stayed. Russ is the guy that stayed when you offered him a ton of money, unprecedented money, a year after the other guy left. So when one guy leaves, who's maybe the second best player in the league, probably is in Durant, and then Russ decides to stay, fashion Russ, L.A. Russ, the guy that's going to leave for the Lakers because he went to UCLA and his wife likes it there and he loves fancy shirts and tight jeans and there's no way he fits into Oklahoma City and he says, no, actually, I do want to stay here. I do want to take your money. And I'm not knocking for the money. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I will say yes to your extension and I won't go to the Lakers. After Durant just left, like, how could you not worship him if you are a Thunder fan? Like, I get it, Thunder fans. And on top of that, that it's kind of like a one-horse town when it comes to these franchises. And Utah can be like this a lot. Utah can get really, really nasty. Like, Utah fans back in the day just freaking out about the idea of anyone saying Chris Paul is better than Darren Williams. Um, wrong. But I understand you're not just a all-in, and we could use the stand term here for Russ, but you are protective of him. Because he showed you the love another guy didn't show you. So I know why you love him. I know why you have that poster of him up there. And you can have all those things and you can love Russ to death every single day. And I have struggled all the time with it because he stands and I'm repetitive. I'm just so repetitive on this. I don't want to keep doing it, but like he stands for all the things that I think that matter and being competitive. But you know what? He can be competitive and he can have an energy tank that refuses to ever dwindle. Like he can have all these things that I love about him. And it can still be disgusting to watch. And that's that's just the point. Like, I don't think he's ever going to win that way. And yet, as I say that, you're like, dude, who knows? If they don't blow the 3-1 lead to the Warriors, maybe they end up winning one there in 16. Or, you know, look, he played in the finals back now six years ago with that 2012 Thunder team. So, you know, it's not like he's getting bounced out in the first round all the time. But I just cannot understand how anybody would watch that game six, even as good as game five was, and it's not like game six is the first time we've seen this. His usage rate in the triple-double season is it's beyond anything I've ever seen from another player, and the record books don't go back far enough, but as far as I've gone back, it shatters any other year. His usage rate for 2016-17, I just... I can't argue with you. Like it's just one of those deals where you're like, all right, if you see that and you think that's the right thing, then we're just not going to be able to talk basketball. And if you're going to tell me that it's because Paul George is passive again, that Russ has to bomb 19 threes and just pull up like airball three in a row and then go, all right, I'm going to do it again. Like it's cool not to quit either. I read that little story about the engine that could, but the engine, the, the, the engine that could didn't have four teammates. You know, the engine that could didn't, didn't chuck three. Like if, if Russ, we're a therapist. If Westbrook were a therapist, you would go to the therapy session 
and Westbrook would talk for 60 straight minutes and you would sit there and then somebody would say, hey, how'd therapy go? And you go, he seems like a nice guy. He's very passionate. Again, that's what I think a point guard should be. A point guard should be kind of your basketball therapist. A point guard can be score first in today's league. It's almost weird if you can't get your own shot. And that used to be frowned upon. Now it's a mandatory deal. But in the process of being able to get your own shot constantly and be maybe the number one offensive threat of a team, you also, as a therapist, you have to understand what everybody needs. You have to understand that, okay, this guy needs a bucket now. This guy needs a look. In the flow of what we're doing, I need to step back off and just throttle down here for a second and get somebody else involved in what we're doing. Because when you ignore your teammates for that long, I mean, this is pickup basketball stuff. When you get ignored and you're setting screens and rebounding on a game to 11 and then it's it's game, do you have any fun? No, you didn't have any fun. And you're not even getting paid. You're not even any good. You're like me, okay? And these guys are getting paid and they're going, dude, so yes, George can be passive, and you would hope to see more from him, but it can also be wrong, the approach Westbrook has in these games. And I'm telling you right now, and you know I wouldn't share this unless I knew it were true, this is an ongoing problem with this franchise, and that Russ doesn't want to listen to anybody, and we can sit here and bash Billy Donovan, but thank God for Donovan that we have Scott Brooks, because we all used to think he stunk, and then he couldn't get anything done until the two guys went down, and Zach Lowe wrote about it. I thought Zach Lowe's piece was fair, but I think it was almost too fair to Westbrook, and kind of making excuses for the fact that Westbrook won early in his career, so he thinks he can just do this again, and that you know, the front, the front, front office hasn't done a great job putting, you know, these experimental three and D guys around him, which I would say, yes, that's, that's probably true too. But I just don't know how you watch it and go, Hey, leave my guy alone. I don't, I don't know how you do that. He, and he's your guy, Saruti. Yeah. So here, here's my, my thought. I don't disagree with you. I think he, he giveth and taketh away, right? The, the, the triple double seasons back to back game five, those things, in his mind, he's like, I can do this all the time. So it, it's almost like the triple-double season and Game 5 are the best things and the worst things about him because he, he thinks he can do that all the time. You know? Like, he did it in Game 5, so he's like, well, I'm just going to jack up a bunch of shots and, and come back in Game 6. And it's like, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. It, it, like, you caught lightning in a bottle. There, I was talking to you about this before. I don't know if there are maybe five people in the league that can do what he did in Game 5. Maybe. Yeah, it might not even be five. It might and, not and, be five. Exactly. And... and, I, and that's awesome, you know, but like if you're a Thunder fan who's just so mad or maybe you've already turned it off or even decided to insult me over the weekend like you guys have that just don't want to hear it anymore. Um, like what if I said, hey, there's this, this other team that you're going to play in the playoffs and this one team is like all isolation and they have the least amount of passes in a game of any team in the league like seasons in a row. They just don't pass the basketball. And then everybody wants to hit you with the Westbrook assist numbers. All assists are not created equal, man, I'm telling you. And I'm glad Zach Lowe did point that out. And I've been trying to say is a lot of the assists for Westbrook are aborted drive attempts. Like There's no movement to it. It's just cut to the lane, hard crash, dribble, up in the air, Adam's trailer, or kick out to somebody else. Like that, That's not a flow. So if I said, hey, you're gonna, you have in the second round – Thunder fans, you can play this team that's isolation, super predictable on offense, and one guy takes all the shots, or there's this other team that has great ball movement, everybody's engaged, everybody's involved, and there's second actions off the first actions, as opposed to the isolation team where they run a play, and then when it's abandoned, then it's all isolation again. Who would you rather play? 
It's not even well, close. No, right. Like nobody would go, hey, you know what I want to do? I want to play the team where everybody's involved and I have to chase the ball around and they keep running second and third screens. You know what's funny is Lowe pointed out like Westbrook screens the least of like any of the guys on the team. I, that actually, as I read that sentence, I go, you know what? That's crazy. Like how many times have you seen Westbrook set a screen for somebody? Like I, think, I can't think ima- one. <laughs> like think of it in your head now. Try to like have this imaginary movie in your head of Westbrook cutting a cutting across and like giving somebody a back screen. Like I was like, oh my god, that's right. Like it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. So Westbrook has to change, and I don't think he can. You can hire ten coaches for the next ten years. He's not going to listen to any of them. The teammates can't stand it. Today is the first time. The first time I've heard from anybody that I trust that George is gone. All right, so I'm sharing that now. To L.A.? No, I don't know where. It was a, okay. it's a he's gone deal. I'm like, what do you think? Because he really like, played it up like he was torn. I mean, I heard Royce Young say that he thinks he's leaning towards staying. So I, he made it seem like in that press conference after Game Six that he genuinely was torn and maybe even wanted to stay. Yeah, now I'm I'm skeptical of sharing it, and I'm just doing it because it's the podcast or whatever. Because like all of us watching, like, why would you even come back to this thing? And the person was like, I was like, well, where is he going? Where is he going then? And it's like, no, all we know is that he's gone. I was like, all right. Um, and I know what Royce Young said, and I saw that coverage of it. And Royce is fantastic, and he would know better than I because he's there. But Paul George also is somebody I don't. He knows what to say. But he doesn't really, like, I wouldn't trust anything he says. I'm not calling him a liar. Like, in that spot, you kind of have to lie. But he can be, mm, trying to be fair about this. Uh, like, he's somebody that tweeted once about, you know, what's up with Ray Rice? Just let him play. <laughs> you go, that is true. <laughs> like, what? Like, who would even, like, even if you thought that, like, and he hit send on it. Like, he's had some tweets where you're like, Hmm. What's going on there? Yeah, I mean, Doc has just been crushing him for the last few weeks, just saying this is the guy. This is the he was a, a bad dude in Indiana. Like he's we're better off that he's out of here. Like he he made excuses. He never was big and clutching big games. Like he's been he on wasn't. the train forever. No, and that's that's why I always worry about like when numbers guys go back and tell you stuff is that uh you know George was at game four where he had thirty two. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't think it was that great of a game, and it's 32 points in a playoff game. And if you go back to some of those Pacers Heat series, like I would get in arguments. I'd say down the air, I go, "Yeah, there's some games there though. That at the end, you're like, where's Paul George? Where's Paul George?'" But I, this is the yeah, Westbrook Lance thing. was the guy that was like really pushing the envelope against the Heat. I mean, it would, I can't. Yeah, but you you would see like good numbers from George. Like you would see, like if you go back and look at basketball reference now, you'd be like, "What the hell is there so like?" There's some bad shooting numbers there, but you're like, "What are you talking? You're, you're acting like this guy did a Bosch donut." And I'm like, "No, it's not. It's not one of those Bosch games." You're like, "Oh, Chris Bosch is playing tonight. I forgot." Um, but yeah, George has that in him. I think Blake Griffin has it in him. And if you look at some of Blake's playoff stats, they're incredible. But I, I would watch. But look, the Blake Griffin fans in front offices tell me it's Chris Paul's fault, and then the Chris Paul fans out there tell me it's Blake's fault. I just know what I watch, and when I watch Blake in spots, he 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 shrinks. George shrinks. Uh, and here's the thing, though: this is the this is the rule for the Westbrook person that is so upset. George can shrink, also while Westbrook is doing gross things to your offense. And the chances are, even if George is hitting shots, 
Westbrook's going to find a few possessions. You're going to go. This is this is nuts. So well, something something has to change there with him. And I don't I don't know what you do. So if George stays, all right. Well, this is probably who you're going to be. But I think you brought up a great point when we were talking about this. Was it you and I talking about? Earlier. Yeah, the phone earlier. Yeah. So I'm going to let you just go ahead and tee this up because I. I actually totally agree with you. Yeah, it's it's my like LeBron James Harden theory, whereas like maybe he doesn't. Maybe Did you mean to do that with the names? What's that? Just make two dudes one. With no, no, because because they have similar good. situations, right? right? So before Chris Paul got to Houston, like that's that that's a team full of role players, and and it works because he, they know who the guy is. It's always going to be Harden, and he's always going to be the guy taking the last shot, and he's surrounded by. Guys who can switch on defense, guys who are good shooters, guys who can get their own bucket but aren't necessarily going to be relied upon for any real thing. LeBron is the same deal. He probably is, is better off with shooters and role players and guys that can switch off on defense. That's that's, the, that's what he wants set up because he wants the ball in his hands at all times. The Thunder don't really have that. Like maybe maybe Russ is better off in a situation where he is clearly the best player on the team and he's surrounded by more good role players and not necessarily like another star player. I was thinking about that this weekend and you and I, when we talked on the phone, I'm, I'm with you. Like, imagine if you could, and see, this is the hard thing. So maybe if Paul leaves, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. If George were to leave and you go, all right, instead of 30 mil on this dude, cause it's four you years, know. uh, yeah, in that 120 range, I think 130, something like that. And then the other one's like a five year 175 or actually, no, it's like, I think it's like five 175. He stays, um, do you go, but see, that's the thing is you go, okay, all right, fine. So we're going to save 30 plus million on George. And now we're just going to spend it on like two awesome wing three and D guys. Well, good luck going to get him, you know? Well, like, like Houston could, did such a good job getting like Ariza and PJ Tucker and yeah. Eric Gordon, guys like that, who that's the, that's the type of player I'm talking about. They're not even on that top tier, but they're still really good players and they, they fill a lot of needs for teams. Um, but there, there's never any doubt of who's taking the last shot or who's the man. Like Westbrook would be the man. Yeah, the problem between the Westbrook Harden thing and even with James now is that they're both better shooters. I mean, Harden's such a freaking good shooter. Totally. Yeah, and I think they're both uh, better players than Russ. And I and and but 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 that's probably I think his best chance for success and and for to not look like a disaster. It looks like he's being some sort of ball hog. Top five players in the league go: LeBron, Curry, Durant, Harden, Harden. Westbrook. Nope. Because we left out Curry. No, I put Curry in. No, there. you did. Excuse me. LeBron, LeBron, Durant, Curry, Harden, Anthony Davis, Kawhi. If, I mean, he Kawhi. was Kawhi. Yeah, but who? By knows the way, now? you know who's you know who's awesome again. At least he was this year, Chris Paul. But no, he's great. Wait a minute. How do we leave out Simmons and Embiid? Never mind. New order: Embiid, Simmons, one, two. Oh, we left out Jalen Brown three. too. Sorry, Celtics fans. Jalen Brown. All right, so let's do a little of that because I don't need to do any more on the Thunder. But I'm just telling you, folks, it's not great there. Like the the organization is sick of it too, but they don't even know what to do anymore. They don't know what to do with it. He's not going to listen to anybody. He's not going to listen to anybody. He's fighting fighting the world. And Utah fans are vicious. People that have worked there will tell you that. That's a pent up group of people. I love that team. I love that crowd. But you all say some nasty stuff to people. But if somebody's videotaping with your phone after you've lost and you just decide to go out from the hallway, I think that's a bad look too. All right. I think Russ is really, really tough to deal with and something has to change. And I don't know what the hell it is. Okay. Celtics. This is hilarious because now I have Celtics fans that are mad at me for giving Philly too much credit in the ultimate soap opera reversal of 2018. Uh, Philly's the better team, Celts. All right. Right now, Philly is the better basketball team. And the more I keep looking at the East, the more I'm like, I think they're coming out. 
and what will be the worst take ever of me saying I think they're going to stink to now playing in the NBA Finals. Like, it's so bad, I don't even know what to do with it anymore. Like, I've apologized, I've gone on multiple outlets, explained myself, nobody cares. Um, and now I think they might get to the NBA Finals because we'll do Raptors-Cavs here in a second, Saruti, but Milwaukee should have won that series, okay? And they couldn't figure things out, and Giannis had a bad game five where he didn't get enough touches, and in game six I thought they unleashed something, and then Bledsoe was actually pretty good in game seven. You know what I would not do as a GM? i go, hey, you know what I want to do this year? Let's build our roster with players that take out their personal vendettas on the court in huge moments and get really worked up emotionally. Like can't stay locked in and let their emotions get the better of themselves and are super weird about it. I want, to, I want a ton of those guys. Um, Bledsoe looked like he was going to be that guy there for a little bit, but he actually came out game seven, played, played really well, but they end up losing. They get smashed by the Celtics there. And that's with the Celtics losing Jalen Brown. And that's with the Celtics having Terry Rozier as their number one guy who, if you go back to the beginning of the season, he was eighth. He was eighth. He was seventh. I did the numbers, uh, here for you, Sarudi. Before the season started, it would be Kyrie, Hayward, Horford, Brown, Tatum, Smart, Baines, Morris. So that's ninth. Simmons was trying to argue maybe he was 10th, but Daniel Tice was not ahead of him. Look at the minutes. So that means Terry Rozier leading this team now basically is the go-to guy, get us a bucket. And Tatum's nice. Horford was awesome in Game 7. And Jalen continues to impress all the time. But Rozier was ninth to start the season. And now a guy who is ninth on the roster and kind of who you think of is leading this team. They're in the second round, and I'm supposed to pick them against the Sixers, and that's tough. And by the way, Rozier was seventh in minutes per game in the first half of the season, and since the All-Star break, so it's really not 41 and 41. It's like 50-plus games versus the remainder of the season. Rozier was seventh in minutes for the Celtics, and he was first in the minutes after um, the All-Star break for the Celtics. But um, a lot of dumb Celtics fans tweeting at me when I said, hey, Philly's better, but you know, you never know. Uh, and they're like, better? You know, Kyrie's hurt. Like, who do you think you're talking? Like, t- you try not to use social media as, hey, let me add maybe something the guy that tweeted may have missed that's entirely obvious. Like, that should not be how you use that tool, man. It's a fun little phone, a little blue guy. You just hit the button on your phone and, and you're, you're interacting. You're getting to work there. Um, some accuse me of throwing my shot at, uh, shooting my shot at Emma Stone. No, not the case. I just really, Enjoyed that video mashup. We'll get to that a little bit later. But, um, yeah, I mean, I expect the Sixers to win this series because they can play defense, because almost all their guys in the rotation get themselves a bucket. And as great as the Terry Rozier story is, as much as I love Horford and Tatum and I love those dudes, they shouldn't beat the Sixers team. Uh, I agree. The only thing is the Brad Stevens factor, right? I, he's, he, like, he's, the, he's great, but seriously. I yeah. Mean, I mean, it, Brett's, uh, Brett's been, Brett Brown's been terrific, man. He's been great too. Yep. But I mean, this, uh, you're right. They should have beat, they should have lost to the Bucks. I think the Bucks, uh, the thing with the Bucks too is that's another coaching situation. Like, who knows? Maybe this team, maybe the Bucks next year will be great with a, with a better coach in a better situation. They just seemed like they were so unorganized with everything and it was always Giannis kind of bailing them out. But, there's no reason to believe the Celtics should win this series. Like, there's none. I, I've, I I don't understand how you would even pick them. And even if, like, by a Celtics fans, if it, you have to admit, like, this, you're you're down. You're two best guys. And, you know, Terry Rozier's been great, but, and I don't know if you saw, but he walked in with the Drew Bledsoe jersey tonight as we're taping this on Monday night for game one. Yeah, by um, the time this, this, I, mean, I could see the Celtics getting them two in game one. Yeah, getting I don't think they're going to It might go home. six, but I, I, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that the Sixers are going to win this series. 
Yeah, I would be really surprised if Boston won this series. Um, Joe Prunty, though, real quick, if there's a guy that needs to change his look, he needs, he needs, and I'm not saying that that look wasn't absolutely murdering it in Tommy Bahamas late 90s, early 2000s, because it was a good look then. I just think Prunty needs to, you know, we talked about coordinator face. Yes. And Doug Peterson's like the only guy who's been a head coach with coordinator face yeah. to win a title. Um, Prunty has kind of video coordinator face, but so did Lawrence Frank a little bit. I thought Lawrence Frank was a pretty good coach, but yeah, I was not super impressed. I don't, you know, I don't like to get on coaches too much. Suit game's not strong for him. The suit, yeah, the suit just, you needed to be updated. You know, that happened to me on TV. Like I was going out there with some stuff I got in TJ Maxx and I think my, I think my mom got me one, one setup. Because when I first started being on TV, and then I, I went on Sports Center with something, and Van Pelt's like, "Hey, dude, um, you're making pretty good money now, right?" I was like, "Yeah, you know." And I like my clothes too, but I don't know. It's just the first time you're dropping two grand on a suit. It's surprising for you too, because you, you know, you like style. Like you're, yeah, you I don't think different I'm totally... styles, but you are interested in stuff like that. I always thought that was kind of funny when. Um, yeah, I'd look, I just, I'd had some suits. I thought they still look good. And then when you get out in Sports Center and you go, you know what? This isn't local. This isn't public access anymore, right guy. So let's, uh, let's move on. All right. So I want to do the two parter. So let's talk to Mel Kuyper now. And then I have some other NBA thoughts and some quick life observations, uh, that we will do and maybe answer a couple of questions before Bruce Feldman in part two. Okay. I'm pumped about this. I got McShay before the draft and I'm, I'm thrilled to have one of my favorite human beings walking around the ESPN's campus, Mel Kuyper. Uh, what's up, man? How are you? It's been a while. Ryan, it's good to be on, man. I'll tell you, it's, it's, we wrapped it up. We put a bow on it. Uh, looking ahead to 2019 now, if you can believe it, Ryan. Yeah. I'll probably throw a little 2019 at you a little bit later, but you know, the uh-huh. way this thing broke down and you know, I read your stuff throughout the entire season. How did it end up being Baker number one overall? Well, I think a couple things. It was it was the other three, the big three, just had some red flags and enough to let John allow John Dorsey to say, "Hey, let's look at Baker Mayfield," and he's willing to do that. I mean, he was very intrigued. I remember talking very intrigued by Johnny Manziel. Didn't take him, but intrigued. So that's because of Russell Wilson. And once Russell Wilson had that success as a third round pick, it opened the door for quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield. The game's changed. It's evolved and it's changed. you got to change with it. John will try to be ahead of the curve with that. So I think just as a person, I've known John since 1984. He's trying to move ahead and not get into that whole typical, prototypical quarterback of the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. He's saying, hey, we can win with Baker Mayfield. And I think that's the reason why. And I think when you look at Baker uh, and then the fourth pick, that was also a curveball. Let's face it. We all thought Bradley Chubb was going to be the guy, and they take Denzel Ward. But to your point about Baker Mayfield, I think the fact that he had a really good year, he's got that it factor. If you're around him, he's convincing. And that's the thing, I think. And John bought into it and was convinced that this is the right man to lead us back to where or lead us to where we want to be. There you go. I think that that's to me is all how a third-round pick back in August became not only a first-round pick but the number one pick overall. You know, I've always felt like even with the increased um, variety of, of college offenses that the dual threat guys, it, it always comes back to the same thing. Like, can you beat teams from the pocket? Like the dual threat stuff is nice. Um, and Baker, you know, I think he's I think he's a pretty athletic guy, but the way he runs around like he's that's not what's going to make him a great NFL player. So have you seen enough adaption, I guess, or adaptation um, by NFL coaches, like we saw it with Deshaun Watson, we saw it with Bill O'Brien. 
Do you think you now have a a better time projecting what some of these guys are going to do in these offenses to the NFL, or is the NFL still a little behind adapting to the quarterbacks? It's hard to say with him, Ryan, because like you say, he's not a great athlete. He's not a, in that, you know, even in that percentage. I mean, he's an average athlete. He's got a 4.40. He's run a 4.6 or below. He, uh, he ran a 4.84. He was tracked down in that Georgia game. When those athletes in that second half made their halftime adjustment in that Georgia game, you saw him get stung number one because he got hit hard, and he wasn't the, the he wasn't putting the ball. Talking about precise ball placement was not there in the second half. I went back and watched that. I said, okay, against this defense with a lot of great athletes, he after the great first half, he came back to earth quickly, and that's when you find out who the best team is. As you know, Ryan teams make their adjustments. This, uh, Tom Landry always said, hey, yeah, we play the first half, but you go in halftime, you make your adjustments. The second half is when you truly find out who the best team is, and in that game. You know, Georgia was the better team, and Georgia, you know, had an answer for Baker Mayfield. And Baker Mayfield played in a conference where you have all day to throw and you can run around. And that four eight four time, look, if you think about it, Ryan, he didn't look like a four eight four guy when you were playing against some of those teams he was playing against and those defensive players. You thought, man, he's a four six guy. When he ran to forty and he tested out athletically to be very average. So this is a guy. You no, know, he's a classic overachiever. Can that type of quarterback at six foot and a half? Make it in the NFL at a hot – because when I say making it, he's got to make it at a super high level. He's got to be an elite starting quarterback to be the number one pick overall. So John Dorsey's trying to beat the odds here. If he does it, more power to him. Would I have done it? Absolutely no chance. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was, I was getting to there with your rankings. And before we're looking at rankings and the big boards and all that stuff, we're just looking at the talent itself. But – now that we know where all of these quarterbacks are, the coaches that they have, the system that they'll be playing in, like in five years of the first-rounders, who's going to be the best? You know, the way it looks right now, you think about where they are. Sam Darnold's in a good spot with the Jets. Does that mean he'll be great? He's, they got to fix him. they got to recreate what we saw two years ago. The bad habits, you can't hold the ball like a loaf of bread in the pocket. You know, to me, he looked rattled this year, and he's young, but without the personnel around him, the, the team's got the best of them. He battled through it, though, and he's a great kid. Uh, you know, Josh Allen is in Buffalo where they got to build that personnel base up. They got they, they added some pieces. They got to keep adding and get that in the, let's face it, AJ McCarron's going to be the quarterback this year. You think about Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. They're saying that, hey, he could be the guy in two years. Well, that's, if that's true, you got to really work with him and get him to be more accurate throwing the football. And then really, I think that's the quarterback, Ryan, that you kind of take what they're doing in Houston, and you adapt it. Marty Morningwig needs to do take what Bill O'Brien did with Watson and put it in that offense with Baltimore with with Lamar Jackson because he's Deshaun Watson like Baker Mayfield's not. And then Josh Rosen with Arizona, you're in an offense that Carson Palmer had success, even though it's a new system there. It's certainly an offense that needs to evolve talent wise too. That offensive line has to be better. Now they drafted Mason Cole, they added Justin Pugh. They need to bring in receivers. They added Christian Kirk, but now there's going to be no Larry Fitzgerald soon. So I think if you look at the quarterbacks, it's hard to say, Ryan, which one. If you had a, you know, right now, baby Darnold, but, you know, let's see. And in two to three years, you never know what's going to happen with these coaching staff. You know, when I look at it, and I talked about this a lot, you know, before the draft, and I've talked about it when I was on the radio all the time, and just how everyone from the outside you know, likes to think you don't know what you're talking about, likes to think Todd doesn't know what he's talking about, loves to think that the GMs are all idiots, and then they point to the fact that, you know, you go through the BCS era, and I've done it before, but it's it's over 50% of these quarterbacks taken in the first round end up being busts, and and that's that's kind of a nice number. Like, if you looked at all the names, mm-hmm. you go, okay, more than 50% of these. So, like, I just, 
I'm fascinated with the idea that everybody thinks everybody's doing it wrong when, in fact, maybe the only way it's done is it, like that's the best you could do. Like, I'm not sure that I believe that there's another way of evaluating these players that all of a sudden you'd be hitting on 75% in no. the first round. No. Like, what have you learned in 30-plus years of doing this now when you look at first-round QBs? Well, Brian Billick and I, Brian's a good friend of mine. Brian has gone through and tried. I think he was writing a book about it. He interviewed me about quarterbacks. And, and we and he's talked about it. He's researched it. He's tried to figure out a formula. There's no formula. Brian, it's a gut feel. You can talk about all you want. I remember there was one time when Nano said, well, you know, I made a mistake with this quarterback. I'm not going to make a mistake with this guy, this quarterback. Wait, maybe that quarterback turned out to be a bust, too. So you, you try to figure out, and I'm just listening to different people. I'm like, yeah, nobody, I've done the same thing. You, you think you have something figured out, and you say, okay, because this guy didn't make it doing this, I'm not going to be high on this guy. That guy turns out to be great. So it, it's, it's, you can't learn from the past on quarterbacks. You can't learn from a couple of years ago. Everybody's not Deshaun Watson. If you're thinking you're fine, that's like finding the next Tom Brady. You can't do that. You know, why can't you find the next Tom Brady in the sixth round? Well, good luck on that one. Everybody's looking for the next Drew Brees. We've all tried to find that guy. It was just luck. It was, being, it was just that guy just had something to make him different than the hundreds that had the same skill set that couldn't make it. So to, it, I don't think anybody has that answer. Like I say, John, is, this is, Baker Mayfield's an outlier. Baker Mayfield's going to have to be an outlier. And I don't know if he can. I don't know. We'll find out. That's a risk. That's a huge risk you're taking. But you can say you're taking risk with all these guys, Ryan. Because look at Andrew Luck. For as good as Andrew Luck was, and for as good as he's shown, he can't. He hasn't been on the field much enough lately to justify a number one pick overall. Okay. So you look at that. Even look at look at RG three had that one great year and then got hurt. Never was the same again. Okay. And then we all debated that draft. Marcus Mariota has he been great? No. Jared Goff has been good because he's had Sean McVay. Carson Wentz, for all the great things he did, got hurt again. He was hurt at South Dakota, at North Dakota State his final year. Now he's got coming off another injury. Maybe not even be ready for the opener. So, you know, you don't know. It's, it's all about longevity, staying out there. Some of these young quarterbacks don't get it to keep their bodies safe and healthy. Uh, and then the developing into a quarterback. Deshaun Watson, for all the great things he did, he got hurt. Okay, he had an injury at Clemson. We don't know if he can be healthy over the long haul. So, Ryan, it's it, I, there's no set formula to evaluate a quarterback. So we just have to be satisfied with the percentages as we see them right now. The only thing I ever said right, really, that I'm proud of is when I said that Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, and Ben Roethlisberger that none of the three would be bust, and none of the three were. Okay, I go back in history. I've been right with some. I've been, I've loved Derek Carr. Some didn't. I was right. I like Jimmy Clausen. Some didn't. I was wrong. So to answer your question, Ryan, no, <laughs> nobody has the answers. They all, and it's amazing. Everybody thinks they do. Everybody wants to do revisionist history with what they thought. And Brian always talks about that. Once guys are good or bad, everybody thought everybody wants to go back and act like they were right when they weren't. So Brian always said that revisionist history with quarterbacks, everybody does it, and that's never going to change. Give me a quarterback. I'm going to want two quarterbacks here, but the, it's two questions. A quarterback, you're shocked they weren't ever good, and another one, you're, you're shocked that they were great. That's a great question. I, this, I think I mentioned some of them in that that uh, that five minutes. I just went on that little rant there. But I, I think you look at at where some of the quarterbacks are right now. Obviously, I thought Jimmy Clausen was going to be good coming out of Notre Dame. He wasn't. Uh, but beyond that, I look back at Ryan Leaf. We understand why now, but nobody right, thought that then. Right, but now we then. get it. Right. Yeah, we get it now. But back when Bobby Beathard, Bobby Beathard was a great GM in the NFL, uh, Ryan. You know that. He drafted Ryan Leaf. People forget that. Bobby Beathard drafted Ryan Leaf. He's got Super Bowl rings. 
Ryan Leaf turned out to be a major disappointment. He was drafted by an elite GM. Things happen. I, I, I mean, there's no question. Half the league at that year thought Ryan Leaf was going to be great. Okay, I went with Peyton Manning, but it wasn't like I didn't like Ryan Leaf. A lot of people like Ryan Leaf over Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning, Ryan, a lot of people thought should have been a third-round pick. They thought he was one of the most overrated players in the draft. They won't admit it now, but one of those evaluators that's out there now giving opinions called me and said, Peyton Manning's name was Peyton Jones to be a third-round pick. He's only getting hype because his last name is Manning. So, you know, I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. So, Ryan, I can just, I can tell, I could write a book over the last 40 years I've been doing this on how wrong and, and some of the whole, you know, anecdotes and what people thought that end up turning out wrong anyway about quarterbacks. I would say it's the most frustrating position. And, and now, we're not giving these kids any time to evolve. Now we're calling them, but we were, Ryan, we were, people, I'm going to say, people in the media were, were calling Jared Goff an historic bust who would never play at a high level in the NFL after his rookie year. And he comes in his second year, and one of those was somebody who had been in the NFL at a high level saying, Jared Goff stinks. He can't play in this league. What a mistake that was after the kid's rookie year. That's what they have to hear and listen to. And now all of a sudden, Sean McVay comes out there and, and makes Jared Goff a good quarterback. So, yeah, for me, Jimmy Clausen, probably the one I thought would be good, that I thought would be not so good and turned out to be really good. Looking back, I mean, the first-round picks you normally have a pretty good opinion of. I think the one, obviously, I thought Tom Brady would be a decent quarterback. If you go back to my write-up, it's in, I wrote it down. But did I ever think Tom Brady would be the greatest of all time? No. Did I see Drew Brees? I like Drew Brees. I think he would be phenomenal. No. So, yeah, I don't I, answer your question, Ryan, in 40 years. All I could say is my head's still spinning. Yeah, you know what? I got to make sure I round up to the 40 years. So I give you the proper credit here, Mel. Uh, <laughs> I, the reason I think that, and I think what you did there is, is answer at least the way you answered the way I think I've been trying to answer it, but you have more credibility than I do. And, and you, I mean, you should, you do. But I don't know about that. <laughs> no, but but I, I just I think this is kind of what happens, and and it happens in, in all sports. Is that you know if you're from the outside world, right? You don't play, you don't coach, and for mm-hmm. years that's who was making all the decisions. And then we start looking at the numbers, and then I think it becomes a thing where you go, you know, let's start questioning some things here. And, and it's happened in basketball where numbers have greatly influenced the game to make you think, you know, maybe the, the league was doing it wrong for a long time. And I think that that's mm-hmm. also happened with the offensive philosophies all throughout football at all three levels. You've gone, you know, maybe this is kind of stupid. And, and I know I'm repeating myself to some listeners, so I'm explaining it to you again. But then I think there's this line that gets passed where the analytics world and the numbers people are rooting so hard against the traditional GMs and front offices that they just are saying, oh, you guys are idiots. Like, you need to be doing it this way. Or in years you'd be – and right. I just go, well, wait a minute. So, so you're telling me that, like, even if 16 of the GMs are stupid, you're telling me the other guys that are, like, the few in the world that do this and we have 20, 30, whatever, however many years of data on this – that that there's some better way. Like I just don't think there's ever going to be a better way. I just don't think there's ever going to be a way of truly understanding how a quarterback at a young age is going to react on Sundays when people are trying to kill him and the defenses are fast and you go, you know, are you going to be able to figure this thing out? Are you going to be able to stand in the pocket, read through progressions, and make split decisions, like fighter pilot type decisions back there for ten years and stay healthy? And I just I don't know if there's a great way of doing this because we've tried a million different things of figuring out who that guy is and we don't know until it's too late, or it works, you know? Yeah, and I think what's happening too, Ryan, is the college game has become pitch and catch. And when you play pitch and catch with guys wide open, 
you have more of a margin for error. I mean, let's think about it. You don't have to be as precise. In the NFL, you have to be on the money because defensive backs are right there with that wide receiver. I've watched college football, as you know, forever, Ryan, and you watch these quarterbacks. they got all day to throw. Watch Justin Herbert at Oregon. He's a quarterback for the 2019 draft. He's back there for 10 seconds. He's back there, you know, just scanning the field. Guys, Look at Baylor. Baylor's like one read. Oh, oh, Ryan, they they run to a spot in Baylor. If they, they stop, if they don't get the ball, they run to another spot, they stop, and then they run in the end zone. And, they, you know, it's just like alley ball. And I think that's where we are right now with college is not developing offensive line. They're all catching. They're not going forward, okay? Then you got the receivers not running any route trees. These kids only know what a route is. Uh, they don't know what it, the site adjustment is. They don't know any of that. So they get into the NFL, and that's why these rookie receivers are struggling so much for the most part. And then the offensive linemen can't – you can't get a third and one. You can't get a fourth and goal. you got to throw the football. Troy Aikman always said, if I threw, if I threw a, 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 a pass from the one-yard line, Jimmy Johnson would have, been, would have pulled me out of the game. I had Emmett Smith. I had Moose Johnson in front of him. I had Larry Allen, Mark Stepnowski, Eric Williams. I, we, were, we were scoring. If we're first and goal from the one-two-yard line, Ryan, I'm not throwing the ball. How many, how many times now do you see, starting with Peyton Manning, throwing one-yard touchdown passes? If you've got to throw a one-yard touchdown pass, something's wrong. That's because linemen can't do <laughs> no. their job. No, that's a really good point. Like, you know, how many times you see, and everybody knows this, the jump ball, it's almost like, hey, let's waste a jump ball throw, and then we'll, we'll figure out what we want to do on second down. That should never happen, Ryan. You got first and goal with the one, two, it's not the five yard line, and you got four shots at it. You got a, a line. You should score running the football. These teams, they, they completely forget about the run. They ignore it. They say, I'm going to throw. That's what cost Seattle the Super Bowl. Throwing the football. Picked off by now. They should have run the ball, but their mindset is they'll stuff us. They'll put, they'll stack it, and they'll stuff us, and we can't blow them off the ball. We'll, we can throw it easier. So these off, and these offense quarters like to see touchdown passes. It helps their stats for their quarterback, and they're all into that with the fantasy and all. To me, it, you know, it, it's become a crazy game now, and a lot of it is. I, had a, I actually had a conversation with John Dorsey about them. No, John says 1984, Ryan. Yeah, his actually photos on the back of my book in 1984 as a linebacker in Connecticut. We've won the Oriole games. I've talked to John about all aspects of football to try to figure this out. John tries to figure out this game like you do. And like a lot of people sit back analytically and look at it. And I think he said, he looked at it. And I said, I said, John, you can't get it. He said, I know because these, these linemen in college aren't used to just blowing somebody off the ball. Do you think you're the godfather of analytics because you were writing books 40 years ago that had a bunch of numbers in it? I have no idea, Ryan. We've all tried to find a way to, to evaluate players and what works no. and what doesn't, and it doesn't. Brian, no, I don't think anybody's the father of analytics. I, I think everybody's just trying to, to, to just put out information. What I tried to do really, Ryan, back in the day was give you all the information, never try to say I was the final say, even though people actually think I do, because I come across very seriously on the air, as you know, Ryan. There's no other way to do it. You want comedy? Go to the Comedy Channel. Yeah, we right. That's Levitard. Levitard and those yeah. clowns, yeah. Yeah, go, yeah, go, go listen to people that want to be funny and try to be funny whether they are or they aren't. Okay. But I've never tried to be, and I've never tried. I was, my mother always said, can you smile once in a while? When I'm focused, I don't, that's just the way I come across. And, you know, I always try to just give the information, give all the information on these players, track their history through high school, college, and injuries, whatever, and let it, let it, I'll have, I'll have an opinion, but you can make, formulate your own opinion based on what you're reading from that report. And that's what I always tried to do. And I think, you know, there's a lot of fans out there now to follow this draft process that back in 1978 when I started this business, 
had no interest in it. So I think the satisfaction for me, Ryan, is looking at that rating that the TV gets, looking at how many people have blogs now and websites that follow the draft, how many people have mocks, and say, boy, now it's where I thought it could be when people are writing all those negative articles back in the 80s and 90s about the draft. Why would anybody want to watch? Why is Kuiper even on the draft when they are yeah. talking about this? Just to see it become what it is is very satisfying. That's all I've ever tried to do, and I know Todd's the same way. Give all the information out, and then we have an opinion, but also let them know what these kids have done and what maybe they could do. And then a lot of fans now have formulated their own opinions and have been able to do that based on some of that information. Well, I know I appreciate it. I have one more thought for you here, and I'm going to let you end this sure. season up because I'm really thankful to be able to get you on and you're being this busy. L- next year's class looks terrible. Uh, I know the closer we get to it, there's going to be like one guy that we kind of like, but for the most part, I don't know. I kept I kept hearing some of our NFL guys, like not you or Todd, but some of the reporter types saying, you know, I remember one guy said specifically, oh, the Pats are reloading so that they go get their franchise QB next year. Uh, good luck because I don't, I mean, if you want to run through the names, but this is, I think this is why I kind of commend some of these teams for just trying to find a way to grab one of these five guys in the first round this year because next year is not good. Well, here are the guys, Ryan, and then Drew Locke. Uh, I remember getting a call mid-season from somebody in the NFL, and he said, "Hey, Drew Locke's got the best arm. Drew Locke's the guy of anybody Drew Locke's, of anybody playing college football this year." So, on, on top of all the guys arm. that just got drafted, wow! Okay. Exactly, right there with Josh Allen, who has the best arms in Stafford, and he said, "Drew Locke's got the arm. He can sling it like no other." And now he'll be back at Missouri. It was wise to go back to Missouri for another year, and we'll see what he can do. I think he could be the guy that people are really excited about. We'll see. And then you also have Justin Herbert at Oregon, who I talked about. He's going to put up big numbers at Oregon. And you have Jarrett Stidham at Auburn. You have Clayton Thorson at Northwestern. Brian Lewerke at Michigan State. Ryan Finley at NC State. Those are some of the names. I think Drew Locke, if you want to isolate one guy who the NFL was already looking at and had a very high opinion of during the season, it was Drew Locke. If you look at who the top guys are, Ryan, for next year, it's defensive linemen. Six of the top ten on my board going into next week will be defensive linemen, led by, uh, you know, you think about Nick Bosa at, uh, at, at, at Ohio State, the younger brother of Joey. He's the guy. So uh, Oliver at Houston. At Oliver at Houston is a highly rated defensive tackle. Greedy Williams will be the top corner. The top receiver will be A.J. Brown from Old Miss. The top offensive tackle will be Greg Little from Old Miss. But I think Oliver and Bosa will be at the top. Clemson's got four defensive linemen are going to be pretty highly rated. Rashawn Gary at Michigan's another. So it's going to be a defensive lineman draft with Drew Locke kind of sprinkled in there at some point in the early top five. But I'll give you one more. Ryan Greer, I mean, Will Greer's another one, Ryan, from West Virginia. Yeah, Greer is somebody. What about Jones from Duke? He's a Daniel Jones is kind of that tall pocket guy that, that can move around enough that, that Daniel Jones could be. Will Greer. Will Greer is kind of going to be this coming season's Baker Mayfield. He's going to be an outlier. He's going to be a guy who, who's spunky, doesn't have the ideal height, looks like a great college quarterback, but you wonder about the NFL. Will Greer is going to be, I'll put him, I'm going to put him pretty, I'm probably going to have him in that top five, top six quarterback. Will Greer, West Virginia, will be, like I say, this year's version of what Baker Mayfield became. You're the best, Mel. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ryan. Have a great one, buddy.